We are happy to announce that this episode of the SW Show is partially brought to you by Humble Bundle. Well, not, not really. We are part of the Humble Bundle referral program, and we just wanted to say that if you like really cheap games and maybe helping charity pending the Humble thing going on, all you have to do is go to humblebundle.com forward slash question mark partner equals SWW. That's right. Humblebundle.com forward slash question mark partner equals SWW. And you just do your normal stuff and it just kind of helps us get a couple bucks here and there. Maybe it helps AJ go about his lights. Maybe it's my camera. Maybe we actually pay Corey for helping us out. But again, if you're going to go buy games anyway, it might be worth checking out. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to one of these interview episodes of the SWW Show. I'm Mike, and today with me a special guest from decently around the world. To get us started, do you mind introducing yourself in the game we're here to talk about? Yeah, hi. Um, my name is Aiden from Curiosity Games. I am the solo developer working on Finally Diced. Finally Diced is a roguelike dice builder that is about cooking and managing a kitchen as a professional chef. I want to start with the best line you just said there. Was it a roguelike dice builder? Yes. I always wanted to, let's start there. Can we unpack that, like, the, the roguelike part? I think, I think everyone at this point has some ideas what those mean. What, what is a dice builder? So a dice builder is an emergent genre that is kind of riffing off the idea of a deck builder, but rather than building a deck of cards being your primary mechanic for, you know, growing in power and uh, doing your run over the course of the game, you actually have a set of dice and you are, in my game, you are getting items that you can then use to add to and change the faces of those dice and you then need to use those dice to uh, solve challenges and things. So, so let's see. So dice to me obviously can mean, the big thing I'm saying when I'm saying it is, is the constraint they're all going to be six-sided dice or is there some level of that you control too? You can control that. Um, I don't know if you've played much Dungeons and Dragons, but there's a lot of different dice mm. sizes you have. Um, at the moment, the the where I'm at through my game is that they're all six-sided. I do have um, it set up that I can create four or eight or whatever sided dice that I want in the future, provided I also create the models for that. Um, like all the data is good to go, it would work. I just still haven't fully decided if I want to go down that route from a design perspective just yet. No, that makes total sense. I was just curious here, because obviously dice are, it's interesting because obviously a deck builder has this dynamic level of numbers on it, right? So a deck builder could be, I give a player five cards, 20, 100, it really doesn't matter, it's arbitrary. But dice yep. builder inherently has limitations, and that was curious kind of you doing the physics limitations versus the like, here's a dice everyone knows type. And that's what I think interesting about this genre and kind of the constraints it gives you. Have you noticed when testing or playtesting, did that constraint kind of make people kind of feel better because they almost felt like they could control it? Kind of how did people kind of react to that lesser amount? Hmm, it's interesting. I feel like the dominant strategy in a lot of deck builders is generally to actually have your deck be 
as few cards as possible. I mean, like a lot of popular card games such as Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh, they have a minimum limit, but they don't have a maximum limit because everyone will always go down to that minimum limit of cards. And even in games like Slay the Spire, a dominant strategy is to, you know, there's a reason it costs so much and it's so difficult to remove cards because removing cards and reducing your deck in size is actually very powerful because you consistency is so much better than um, other forms of, of, of power scaling. It's like it's one of the most useful ways to get through a run when there's so many random elements. Um, I think that creating, you know, the fact that I've like, I've kind of set my game up so that it is, you have five dice and each dice has six sides and everything is balanced around that level of consistency. And then other abilities and things that I add to the game that gives the player more or less consistency, they are still filtered through that same framework. So if, if at some point I make it so that you can have one less die or one more die, um, those would be interesting decisions that would effectively expand or reduce your deck size, if you will. Oh, that makes sense. That, that is interesting how, yeah, it is kind of that. So the dice are like a batch of them. And then like how many dice helps it then makes the true number. That's very interesting kind of thing. But where did this come from, I guess, first in your experience? You said you said it was like a nascent genre. Was that a level of sarcasm or the, or the dice games that kind of influenced you? Or is there something like you were just kind of thinking of how to change the idea of deck builders? Mm. Well, I actually, I haven't. There are other dice builder roguelikes. I hadn't actually played any of them until I started working on Finally Diced. Uh, where this game came from was I was a chef for a number of years and I've always loved video games. I always wanted to be a game designer. And as every game designer will tell you, um, you just have a million ideas all the time just kind of coming out. And I remember working in commercial kitchens and be like, this, I think that running a restaurant would actually make a really interesting roguelike. Um, and I kind of had that idea in the back of my head for a long period of time. And at the end of last year, um, I got laid off from my software engineering job. And I was like, you know, and I'd been doing a lot of like game jams and things. And I was like, man, I just really want to like make a game full time. I want to make a full game. I want to release it on Steam and just have that as like a life accomplishment. So I was looking around at different options of like, you know, looking through all my notes of different ideas I had and like this whole like kitchen cooking thing always kind of appealed to me. But at the same time, I'd also been playing a lot of Yahtzee. Um, I'd been playing that online and just kind of mucking around. Um, I liked how simple it was and I liked the, the probability aspect of it. And I was like, what if there was a Yahtzee roguelike? And then I sort of combined those ideas into effectively a, a Yahtzee-esque roguelike um, about working in a kitchen. That's interesting. That 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 is that is interesting how you combined at least your idea was like let's take Yahtzee and then combine like working in a kitchen. That that is a, um so you worked in a kitchen, you said. Uh let's talk about kind of how did that influence the like obviously you had to abstract a bunch of that out kind of, but how did you kind of use that experience to make the food part of the experience? Yeah, so it's it's interesting playing around with that level of abstraction because I've actually always been dissatisfied with games that label themselves as cooking games because I feel very few of them actually seem to be inspired by cooking or working in a kitchen. They're generally very like light and cutesy and the food is just so abstract. You kind of like one of to me one of the most important things about 
cooking is that it is this very multifaceted layered problem that requires a lot of creativity. Whereas a lot of cooking games, I don't feel like they require creativity to play generally. It's generally a lot of mini games or match things that look the same. It doesn't require you to sort of like think laterally or think outside the box, which is one thing that I really enjoy about roguelikes as well. So I think that that my experience in cooking allows me to see the commonalities between cooking as a craft and playing roguelikes as a craft. Because if you play a lot of, each time you learn a roguelike, and the reason, you know, I believe we people enjoy playing games at all is because they invoke that, that sensation, that feeling of, of learning and understanding. And sometimes it even feels like you're kind of learning the language of the game as you play the game. And I feel very similarly about cooking. So I feel that I try to capture in essence what I believe the, the feeling of cooking is um, in this game. And I, I feel that I also know enough about cooking through you know, my professional um, work there and also my own personal exploration that I can do it justice, if, if that's fair to say. That's that's interesting. So this reminds me of I heard I heard an idea that I think this really correlates to is that this idea that like Madden and FIFA aren't actually based off the sports. They're more kind of abstractly based off something like foosball because kind of how like the way people play them from this view, it kind of feels like to me kind of that's you had that similar sense of like this idea of cooking minigames. So like they didn't get the sense of cooking. The thing I'm kind of yep. curious to you is what if if you were to abstract that onto like a feeling or a sense or like kind of this thing you want to transplant into the game, what is that kind of thing of cooking to you that, like, you think of and go kind of and explain it to someone? Um, can we just rephrase the question? Yeah, so, like, you said kind of the idea is to take the essence of cooking and, and mm -hmm. put that into this game. If I said yeah. in, like, one or two words, kind of, what is that essence to you? Is it kind of like that, that creation pro process? Is it how stuff can combine? Is it kind of seeing possibilities like what is kind of that that thing that really draws you and then draw makes that game part of it yeah so um I'll, I'll sort of answer your question a little bit of a roundabout way and explain a little bit more i guess like my background and what i see and what i love about cooking is i i'm not like a big recipe cook i focus more on individual ingredients and techniques and just like learning bits and pieces about what happens when you do when you do this to um, you know, when you, you cut up an onion, um, what happens if you cut it smaller versus cut it wider? Why does that matter? You know, I like the very, like the scientific almost approach to it and just learning bits and pieces about, I, I see cooking is all your ingredients are these, these tools in a giant toolbox. And then depending on, I guess, like my mood or what I have available to me in my kitchen, I'm like, I'm just going to chuck some shit together and then see what happens. I'm going to try and make something good, you know? And a lot of the time, you know, living in share houses or working in kitchens that um, don't always have uh, access to every ingredient imaginable, you have to um, come up with your own solutions. You have to come up with something good when you don't have um, all of the pieces. And that experience is actually very similar to a roguelike where you, you don't have all the tools. You don't have every item available in the game. You just kind of get some and you've got to make it work. So that idea of the game is really about um, learning the game enough to be able to make something good, even if you have, if you're dealt a bad hand, so to say. 
which to me is also what cooking is, but also working professionally in a kitchen is about that same, that same feeling as well of you got to make this shit work. Um, and you might not have, you know, some stuff might not be prepped. Maybe you're understaffed today. It is, everything can go wrong. It doesn't matter. You got to make do of what you've got and you've got to be good enough at your craft that you can get to the end result. No, that sounds, yeah, the, 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 that sounds very interesting. Let's kind of think of that. I'm kind of curious if we could dig into that a bit more mechanically, right? Mm-hmm. So as a player starts their turn, they roll a bunch of dice kind of, what do they then kind of do with the dice to kind of get their ingredients? Sure. So what the game looks like at a sort of mechanical, um, if you kind of like step back a little bit, is you have two core uh, phases of play. There is a sort of management phase, and then there's a work phase. In the management phase, you um, purchase your ingredients and you actually arrange them on a grid. And your dice, you actually see... Um, do you remember... Um, I don't know if, this, if every country does this, but when we were children in, in primary school, you would, get, um, you would get a cube and you would unfold the cube into that sort of like that net shape. And is that then you the, would, the thing would be like the... I forget the name. It's not a dream catcher. The idea is you kind of do what it like says. Is it the fortune teller thing? Uh, not quite. It, it, it's similar to that. Though. It's okay. like you have like... It almost looks like a, a Catholic cross and you fold it up and that's sort of like the, the net of a cube. It's like a cube express is a 2D shape, right? Okay. Um, and then so you have all these 2D shapes on your grid that, that are your dice and then you purchase ingredients which are, you know, a, almost like a backpack battles, backpack hero sort of um, inventory management system where you actually put your items and you manage them over the top of your um, these, these, dice, these dice frames and then those become your dice when you actually play the game. So it has this almost kitchen management set packing game that then is how you customize the dice for the work phase, which is where things actually sort of happen. But alongside that idea, by drafting your ingredients, you also build up a menu of um, recipes that you need to um, fulfill in that work phase. So effectively, um, you are also defining the challenges that you need to complete by picking the ingredients you use to complete those challenges. So, so you're using them. That's interesting. So like, instead of being like, here is the challenge, go collect ingredients, or here is the ingredients, and we might get some challenges, you're just straight like, the ingredients you get, you select, will then kind of predetermine the challenge continually? Yes, effectively. Um, you're sort of like, you're almost drafting um, your, if you, if you use deck builder terminal, let's say we'll just use um, Slay the Spire as an easy a standard medium that everyone kind of understands. Imagine you as you're drafting your deck, but you're also drafting what your enemies are at the same time. Okay, that's interesting. Does that then have any sort of predetermination on like the rewards or something like that the player gets because some inherently be easier or harder than others and they would know that difficulty? Yeah, so there are um, the part of it as well is that being able to beat um, your day-to-day um, 
challenges that you've created for yourself isn't actually uh, the way that victory or failure is gated in the game. Um, you have to effectively reach a certain level of uh, prestige, is sort of what I'm calling it. It's like, it's like your, your reg or like your level. And if you manage to get to level 15 or 25 or whatever the, num- whatever the number ends up being, that is um, your sort of victory milestone. It's almost like you have to get enough victory points to, to win the game. Um, and if you don't get enough in a certain amount of um, days, so over the course of a month, then you sort of miss the, the qualifier to the big chef tournament, and that is effectively a loss. At the same time, you also have to make ends meet. So all these challenges that you are creating, they have a, um, a reputation value, which adds to your prestige, but they also have a, like a monetary score value which you need to be able to purchase ingredients, pay um, bills, and keep your restaurant afloat. So you, there's different avenues to win and lose, and then you can take this challenge in as many different ways as you want. Like maybe you want to say, okay, I'm going to try and make as much money as I can, and then I will find ways to buy my way into getting enough prestige to win at the end of this cycle. Or... I want to try and get as much prestige as early as possible, and I want to qualify for this thing before I run out of my starting capital. That's in- so that is that is interesting. Um, kind of so when you think of this and you're designing these systems, how did mm-hmm. you kind of think of the difficulty of a player? So a lot of things when I think of games with like this tension element, which is usually like some sort of resource that's like continually going down, you always have one of two, right? Where it's so pointless, it's just annoying that you just have to deal with it once in a while. Or there's the other end of, it's too, a lot of times you get ones that are just too extreme and now I'm just always stressed about this point. How did you find that that spark to be like, the player's concerned and they're stressed, but like, they still have some breathing room for some level of mistakes throughout this process? Yeah, um, so I would say it's because, so first of all, it's it's not like, the most, the most obvious analog for a resource that if depleted you lose is a health system, right? Um, you can almost treat money in this game as an abstracted idea of a health system where if it gets to zero, you lose. But you don't actually need to pay. Like you only lose for having zero money if you can't pay your weekly bills. So you have a bit of runway where you know when you're going to take that hit and you know how much that hit is going to be. So you can then manage your spendings um, accordingly to do with that. So you have an idea of what an expense is going to be like coming up. Um, what makes I think more interesting than um, health is as a resource is that it's not just a counter that goes down and then you lose. It, you know, it's, if you think of um, a health bar, really it's just sort of like, it's, it's distance from you are dead. The more health you gain, the further distance from you are dead, the, the less health you have. It, it, it's an indicator of where you are from death, but it doesn't really have any other use or merit almost as a resource. Whereas money being a similar indicator of like, if it gets too low, you die. But it also has something you can use it for. So I try to make it so that all of my resources in the game generally have multiple uses it's not just an indicator of health versus not health it's 
they have um, alternate avenues that you might want to collect or spend a resource to get something with the consequence that it might cost you in other ways. Okay, no, no, that makes that makes sense. That is the biggest thing with that. Obviously, is kind of is if there's too many inputs and too many outputs, it's kind of hard for the player to get a good view on that. Is yeah. that is that kind of was there some sort of limitation? You kind of been like, okay, like this could be used for multiple things, but we should probably limit how much this one currency is used for just to not overwhelm a player. Um. So. To a degree, I only, uh, I have, I'd say that I have multiple resources when you use the word resource as an abstract sense, like time as a resource, space as a resource, number of items as a resource. But if you look at just like resources that are just tracked by a single value, um, they're really only two, which are money and reputation. Um, everyone knows what money's for. Everyone kind of knows how money works. So that's a very easy affordance to have and as far as reputation is concerned that's very much an analog for experience where it'll go up to a certain value and then it will reset to zero but you will get something from that as you kind of level up so i think they're both quite individually they're quite simplistic systems and it's it's very obvious how you get more of it and then it's Generally, there's a only one way in which it also is then used. In money, you use it to spend stuff or for bills. So I guess that's technically two ways. And for reputation, it's really just used to level up. And then on level up, you get bonuses and things. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, so we've been talking about finally diced. Uh, you, you come out. It currently says Stone Steam Q4 of this year. Is that still kind of what your goal is or is it? I, I really want to release a new demo at the end of this year. Um, more than likely, the, the actual release for the game will be in February next year. Um, and I want to go to possibly early access in January, but um, there'll definitely be a demo out in, um, in uh, December of this year. Um, if you could, please uh, wishlist the game. It's, it's the best way for developers to get traction, which I'm sure you know. You are entirely correct. Make sure if you can log in to see just wishlist games. If you think they look cool at all, whether you're going to buy them or not, or maybe unsure, like wishlisting just tells you and they're for sale and it also helps developers. It, sometimes it's shocking how one metric can single-handedly like make or break a game on Steam and people just don't realize how simple it is. But Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's an interesting space. Wild. Uh... The last thing I have for you, then, you said you said potential of early access, obviously, uh, beginning of next year. What do you kind of, in early access, What is there any kind of things players can expect that you know will be changing, or is it kind of you plan this to be more like content and balance fixes? What is your kind of your walking into early access plans? So, yeah, early access will be very much like all the core mechanics of the game will be there. Um, there won't be all of the items and things. I'll be working on adding items and things like that as I go. But really, that's the, the purpose of the early access is just to help find the balance of, you know, give me um, weeks of tweaking the numbers up and down so everything kind of like fits together and the strategies work the way I want them to work, um, the gameplay, um, you know, it's to make sure that, you know, it's not just there's just one dominant strategy and everyone should do that all the time. It just gives me the chance to sort of 
tweak and balance the experience um, leading up to a, a full release. No, perfect. Uh, I want to say thank you again for, for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, before we go, before we wrap this up, kind of, floor is yours. Is there yeah, anything you feel me. we missed on the experience? Anything you want to shut out or any final spots you should be sending people? The floor is yours. Kind of close this out. Yeah, awesome. Um, what have I been playing a lot of lately? Um, play Bellatra. It's awesome. Is it? Yep, it is great. Perfect. Well, again, thank you for your time today, and, and everyone go wishlist. Finally diced on Steam, and lastly, I like, can, your, your demo is finally diced Amboos Bougie Edition? Amuse Bouche. Amuse Bouche edition. It's like a, um, it's like a little treat you have before, for a, a dinner. So yeah, I would have really loved to have called it um, the entree, but entree actually means something different in America that does in the rest of the world. So which what makes does it mean to you? So entree to mean is like the main thing. So like if I go to like a restaurant, I order like an appetizer and a dessert. The main portion is the entree. Yeah, so in, in, in the traditional sort of um, French, the entree is actually the small meal before your main meal. It's actually the appetizer. Oh, okay. It's like entree is sort of like, I think it's like a similar to the etymology of the word enter. It's like the start. The more you know, I guess. <laughs> the, 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 thank you for, I, every, every once in a while we get on these calls and I'm like, I talk to someone who's not from America and I'm like, I just learned something. And that's a good example of today. I'm like, yep, that's something new. I I'll just tell you what, know. there's a lot of those when it comes to food. We have a lot of like, just like different countries, even English speaking countries have a lot of different words for the same ingredient. And sometimes one word can actually mean different things. Like a porterhouse steak is different in Australia than it is in America. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that can be fun when you're trying to figure out find cooking videos, I feel like. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, I've decided for localization, I'm actually going to have an Australian, a UK and an American version. That's okay. Now that's interesting. Th so well, I guess we'll keep going for a second if you don't mind on that one. Um, yeah, sure. So, so obviously you're going to do that. Is there that much, is it big, basically because it's food terms you're concerned about that? Because like a lot of games don't do that. And, and maybe this could be, I'm hmm. an American, I don't notice it scenario, but I don't seem like in many games I notice those types of verbiages. Yeah, I think it's most games, they get the affordance of they can just make shit up. Whereas Final Dice is very much trying to mimic real life. And I, I spend, I do a lot of effort in my design to make it so that I feel confident that somebody who, you know, spends a lot of time around food can be like, see or read something and be like, I know what that is. I kind of get how that's supposed to work. And, you know, a lot of the item abilities and the ingredient abilities and the equipment will mimic um, it, its real world counterpart. I don't want people to be like looking at something and then they'll just be like, what the fuck is that thing? And they Google it and be like, oh, it's that thing I already have a name for. Why did they name it some other random thing? I just want everyone to have the names they're used to, you know? No, I call it a bell. Uh, I call it a capsicum. You guys say bell pepper. Just stuff like that. Oh wow, yeah, okay, I see exactly where that would come from. No, that's interesting. I just, I just have never thought of that. And like, legitimately, I think I've seen like once in a while you see like maybe two versions of English on something, but like it's very rare. I've never seen like we saw like three and some other. I've never heard that level, or at least of being finite. Yeah, generally it's like American versus UK spelling, like O and O U and stuff like that. Um 
but then there's actually differences between uk and australia and what we call things and because i'm australian everything that i do i like to use my native name for things but i also like don't want the brits to freak out you have you have the extra problem of of the three probably the least amount of people knowing that spelling grounds it's yours so you want it in there yeah i can guarantee that developers who are not from australia are not making an australianized version (laughs) of their games Yeah, I can't say I'm going to try that one day because I feel like I, I would not do well. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, again, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the last minute uh, food lesson on that one. So. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Take care. The SW Show and all of its affiliate podcasts are podcasts by me, Mike Maroney, and AJ Losey, by, sometimes by our contributors, including Corey King. You can follow the SWW Show on social media at the SWW Show, or sooner or later, you go to patreon.com slash SWW to help us out. Thank you. We hope you enjoy the rest of your day.